Amen, amen. Let's pray together. Our Father and our God, we thank you for that great hope. Thank you that you loved us enough by your grace that you would send your son to die for us. And we have been worshiping this morning in song the great praise of our heart, Lord, for our salvation. And we thank you for what you've done for us. I pray now as we have opportunity to hear from your word, O oh God, I pray that our hearts would be responsive, open. Pray, Father, that hungry hearts would be ready and needy ears would listen. For I pray in Jesus' name, amen. On Saturday, July 28th, 1945, a B-25 Mitchell bomber left Bedford, Massachusetts airport, headed for Newark, New Jersey airport, with a pilot and two crew members, and plowed into the 78th and 79th floor of the Empire State Building killing all on board, plus 11 other people who were in the Empire State Building that day. Being a Saturday, it was less populated. It had set out to fly into bad weather. By the time it got to New York City, the visibility was zero. The pilot became disoriented, passing over the Chrysler building, turned right instead of left, and perished. Beloved, in these days of zero spiritual visibility, there are thousands and thousands and thousands of people's lives. that are moving in zero visibility and crashing their lives into destruction and perishing. Because they have not been recognizing the right way to live. John begins his account of Jesus setting out to establish in our hearts, or any who are willing to pay attention, confidence in who Jesus is and what Jesus does. And these are eyewitness testimonies. Would you open up your Bibles, please, to John chapter 1, and we'll be reading there shortly. But just a reminder, once you have come to know who Jesus is and have received him as Messiah, Believing in his name as Savior. The same as the testimonies we heard from the young girls this morning. How are you to experience life as his disciple? Just by way of review from last week, just a quick review. Remember, God, the Word, became flesh and lived among us and was called Jesus, the Messiah. In him was life. And only by receiving him... Can a person be born of God? You cannot come to God the Father unless you come to Christ. 
It is not possible to be saved from dead existence, destined to perish, unless you come to Christ for saving life. That's the consistent message of the Scriptures. And so those experiencing life in Christ do so through a life of discipleship. This is what we're looking at today, learning to know Christ and to live for him as Savior from sins and Lord of your life. What does that look like? What we need to know about Jesus to correctly take up our place in bringing attention to him. So if your Bibles are open, let's look at the uh, scripture to this morning. John chapter 1, verse 19. And we're reading a long way, reading the end of the chapter to verse 51. Now this was John's testimony when the Jews of Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him who he was. He did not fail to confess, but confessed freely, I am not the Christ. They asked him, then who are you? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? He answered, no. Finally, they said, who are you? Give us an answer to take back to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? John replied in the words of Isaiah the prophet, I am the voice of one calling in the desert, make straight the way for the Lord. Now some Pharisees who had been sent questioned him, why then do you baptize if you are not the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? I baptize with water, John replied, but among you stands one you do not know. He is the one who comes after me, the thongs of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. This all happened at Bethany on the other side of the Jordan where John was baptizing. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I meant. When I said, a man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. I myself did not know him. But the reason I came baptizing with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. Then John gave this testimony. I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. I would not have known him except that the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, The man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is he who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and I testify that this is the Son of God. The next day, John was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, Look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, What do you want? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying and spent that day with him. It was about the tenth hour. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah, that is the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. 
Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which, when translated, is Peter. The next day, now the fourth day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee, finding Philip. He said to him, follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael and told him, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth? Can anything good come from there? Nathanael said, asked. Come and see, said Philip. When Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said of him, Here is a true Israelite in whom there is nothing false. How do you know me? Nathanael asked. Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus said, You believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree? You shall see greater things than that. He then added, I tell you the truth. You shall see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. This is the word of God. Only the Holy Spirit could enable John to pack this much about Jesus in that little space. Though the titles alone are incredible of who Jesus is. And we'll wade through here this morning and do the best we can. I, I want to set up for you this morning four plausible headlines from the Jerusalem Post, January 22nd to 25, 30 AD. Now I'm speculating, of course. Eight core discipleship realities to learn from the earliest disciples which, um, while coming to know Christ and experiencing life in his name. So there were some disturbing theological ripples that had reached Jerusalem. Some dude in a hairy costume, 20 miles east of Jerusalem, was baptizing Jews in the Jordan River. And it was unauthorized by them. And so there was a delegation sent out to find out who is this guy and what is he doing and what does he think he's doing? What is going on? Now, by the way, John the Baptist was the son of a priest, but had no credentials from Jerusalem and the religious elite. And so the newspaper flashed that day, headline number one, John the baptizer claims he is not Christ. Day one. Yeah, some of the tech people had some fun this week. And, uh, you know, if you want something done right, you ought to do it yourself. Not, not be outsourcing it. Hell will have to freeze over, if you know what I'm saying, before... Uh... Anyway, messianic mania was rife at the time. The one thing that we pick out from this particular incident in verses 19 to 28 is that people were expecting Messiah. Jesus didn't arrive in a vacuum, a theological vacuum. In fact, the priests, the Levites, the, the Pharisees, they were expecting Messiah. 
And so leaving no ambiguity, John the Baptist forcefully ensures them that he's not the one. He is not the Christ. Are you the Christ? No, I'm not the one. He came to his own, remember, and his own did not receive him. I'm not sure if we thought about that enough, that they were expecting Messiah. Well, maybe John the Baptist is Elijah. Maybe that's who he is, because Elijah was supposed to be the forerunner of the coming Messiah, Malachi 4 or 5. In fact, Jesus later on deems John the Baptist Elijah. He was the forerunner of Messiah. Came in the spirit of Elijah. Well, maybe you're the prophet. Are you the prophet? What prophet? John the Baptist, Jesus claimed, was the greatest prophet. What prophet are they talking about? They're talking about the prophet promised in Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 15 and following. Uh, One will come like Moses. So they're anticipating that the Messiah would be like Moses. And if he's like Moses, then he's going to give spiritual leadership and he's going to give political liberation from oppressive people, just like Moses did from Egypt. The emphasis that they put on the prophet ignored the fact that in that text in Deuteronomy, it never once talks about political liberation. It says in that particular text, I will put my words in his mouth. That's it. This one who will come like Moses, will be the spokesperson for God. That's why at the time there was all kinds of agitation and concern over Jesus because he wasn't the Messiah they were expecting. He didn't come to liberate them from Rome. That's why Judas betrayed him. We have a lot of that going on in our own midst today. A lot of people from among our movement are rising up expecting that they're supposed to be, the church's role is not only supposed to be spiritual leadership in our country, but also political liberation. Jesus never once did that, nor did he commission his church to do that. We are not political liberators. Jesus came to set us free from our sins not from annoying leadership. So true disciples are careful not to impose on Christ their own image or preconceived expectations of him. So you're not the Christ, you're not Elijah, you're not the prophet. Who are you then? John the Baptist says, I'll tell you who I am. I have a role, but I'm virtually a nobody. I'm just the voice. You thought the TV show was the first time that came out? No, no. John the Baptist is the first voice. He's the voice. True discipleship, if you pay attention to John the Baptist, is making much of Jesus and little of myself. 
which will be the ongoing characteristic of a disciple, denying ourselves in favor of Jesus. He said, in fact, I, I'm just one who came to, to call out people to make straight the way of the Lord. I'm one calling out in the desert, but he is so super great, I'm not even worthy to be his slave. He said, I can't even untie his sandals. You see, it was lawful at the time for a, a student to be welcomed, shall we say, to untie the sandals of their teacher as an act of respect. But this was, and later, and, and soon was to become the, the work of a slave. And John the Baptist says, I'm not even worthy to be the slave of this man, to untie his sandals. Now, I'm simply baptizing people in anticipation of crossing over to a new order of life following this one who is so great. Because baptism, you see, was a, was a rite that was already existing. It didn't begin with Jesus. It was already in existence. It was, it was a practice of uh, uh, bringing Jew, uh, Gentiles into the Jewish system. They, they were being immersed into the Jewish system, crossing over from being Gentiles to Jews. That's why they were so horrified in Jerusalem at head office that, that this Jew is baptizing Jews. What are you doing? Jews don't need to be baptized. John the Baptist was staking a claim in the theological landscape that things were changing. And this was in, in anticipation of this great one who was about to be revealed the next day. That they were, about, they were to be baptized for personal faith and repentance, which would be required. So the next day, John the Baptist is there again, and he says, speaking of the one I've been talking about, look, the Lamb of God, verse 29, who takes away the sin of the world. Look, there he is, right there, to the Levites and priests who were standing around him. There, that's the one, right there. And the headline blazes across the Jerusalem Post. John the baptizer identifies God's Lamb. Humanity had a massive problem on its hands. It still does today. We have a massive problem on our hands. There is no greater problem in humanity than sin. All of the other troubles of life, they pale by comparison or often as a result of sin. And when John the Baptist makes this declaration... Look, God's lamb who takes away the sin of the world. There is no greater proclamation that has ever been made. This should have arrested everyone's attention. The Levites and the priests and the Pharisees and the, the, the scribes and, and all who were around should have stopped and said, What? Say that again. God's lamb, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world? 
We, we've been needing that our whole lives. Our forefathers have needed this. We have been sacrificing animals as a substitute and representative of the one who would come for our guilt and for our need and for our temporary covering. And having to do it over and over and over again. And you're telling us that God has sent a sacrifice? Because that's what lamb meant. You're, you're telling us not only has God sent a sacrifice, but it's him? That's God's lamb who will take away the sin of the world? The one who, as Paul writes in Romans, who has overlooked sins in the past in anticipation of the one who would come and be our substitute and die for us, taking on our sins as the sacrifice. That's who you're talking about? I, I, I don't know how the theologians of the day could miss this. I don't know how they couldn't have said, listen, if, if we're, we're a little fuzzy on this, we're a little foggy on this, we don't really know what you're talking about, but we're not leaving here until we understand what this is all about. That's the difference between intelligentsia and disciples. Disciples stay and look and see and listen and embrace what God has for us. You see, God will not share his presence with sin. Unless sin is taken care of, you can't have God. You cannot. And the perilous situation with which humanity is in is it is under God's wrath against sin. Ephesians, Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 2, we were all dead in our trespasses and sins and by nature objects of God's wrath. That wrath that we see evidenced all around us as humanity spirals into depravity. These are all expressions of God's wrath against sin. I can't presence myself, God, God says. I can't be with those who are sinning. And the more God withdraws, the worse people get. So Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, but also Jesus Christ, though younger than John the Baptist, was before John. John writes this. The one, he writes in verse 30, a man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. And so he also recognizes and testifies to the fact of Jesus the Christ's eternal existence. Not only that, he points out that Jesus Christ had a permanent anointing of the Spirit. The Spirit remained on him. The man on whom you see the Spirit come down in, in verse uh, 33, and remain is he who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. Until that point, uh, the Spirit of God had, had presenced and, and come upon leaders, leaders for assignments. But this is different. The Spirit will now remain on this one. 
John acknowledges that he wouldn't have even known who he was either, except that when he was baptizing him, the one who sent him, literally the Father in heaven, who commissioned his ministry, revealed to John the Baptist that this is the one. This is the Messiah. The one on whom you see the Spirit of God remain. He's the one. Which was the ongoing message in the early church. This one, anointed of God, is Messiah. Acts chapter 10, verse 38. The Spirit, the God-given sign confirming His identity and, by the way, confirming our identity as well. We are Holy Spirit people. People indwelt by the Spirit. People anointed with the Spirit of God. Jesus Christ is the one who baptizes His own with the Holy Spirit. The man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is He who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. The promised prophecy of Ezekiel 36, 25 to 26. You aren't a Christian unless you have received Christ by faith as your Savior and the Holy Spirit indwells you. So the Messianic age has begun as Messiah baptizes people into the Spirit. And then he says, and I have seen and I testify that this is the Son of God. More probably, the right translation here is the chosen, the anointed one. From Isaiah 42.1. Well, there's the next day. So that's one day, that's the second day. Now there's the third day. The next day it says John was there again with two of his disciples. John had a following as well. John's the Baptist ministry was the ministry of preparing people to surrender their lives to Messiah. And he had a group of people who he was teaching this. Among them was Andrew and John. Not John the Baptist had John the Apostle as one of his followers. He doesn't identify himself, but he says here, the next day John was there again with two disciples, John the Baptist. And he once again says, look, here's the Lamb of God, God's sacrifice to his disciples now. And when the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. And he doesn't, when John is, has, has a practice of not naming himself. Whenever he says, oh, the, the disciple that Jesus loved, or there was another guy there who was with Peter or whatever, it's him. He's talking about himself. In fact, he knew the very hour. He talks about the 10th hour. He knew specifics about this because he was there. I know you get your Johns mixed up. John the Baptist, we're talking about it. Now suddenly we're talking about John the Apostle. John the Baptist had John the Apostle first before Jesus did. Okay? And, and so here, here it is. We, we have Andrew is, is finds and encounters Christ and he goes and gets his brother. And the headline in the Jerusalem Post that day was Galilean fisherman claims to have found the Messiah and brings his brother to this rabbi. It was a stunning headline that day. It was bothering the Pharisees, bothering the scribes, bothering the teachers of the law. This fledgling group of disciples. And the process always begins by calling people to come and see. Come and see. 
That's what a, 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 a gathering like this is. It's, it's, it's followers of Jesus Christ who come to praise him and worship him and pray and, and interact with his word. But we come and see the master, the Messiah, the Lord. We come and see him together. We bid people who don't know him yet, who we bring with us, come and see. Listen, don't take my word for it. Come and see him for yourself. Come and hear about him for yourself. Come and experience him. It's interesting that when these guys, Andrew and John, are called into following Jesus Christ, they're already in ministry. These guys who are called into a deeper discipleship relationship with Christ, because this is not their call into disciple, the official disciple, that calls later. This is an initial introduction to Jesus. And so they are themselves in ministry when Jesus later calls them into a more specific responsibility of becoming the founders of the church of Jesus Christ with him. Wow. I'm sure Andrew was delighted that he was there that day. And John were there. Those called to significantly higher responsibilities are already in ministry. Forsake John and follow Jesus. John isn't building, John the Baptist isn't building his own religion. Oh, wait a minute, the Baptist. No, I'm just, I'm just fooling you. They had nothing, to, our, our denomination has nothing to do with John called the Baptist, John the Baptizer. He didn't found us. Jesus founded us. He wasn't building his own religion. He wasn't building his own subgroup movement. He had one assignment. Prepare the way of the Lord so that people will come to him. That's our, that's our assignment. That's who we are. That's who I am. That's what our, what our church is. We prepare the way of the Lord, not so we can further the movement of Calvary, but so that more and more people will come and see Jesus and come to know him, who is the one who takes away the sin of the world. It's our substitute, our sacrifice. True disciples point people away from themselves and bring them to Jesus. John the Baptist encourages his disciples to follow Jesus. Some stayed with him. We find out later. They should have gone with Jesus. First thing Andrew does, notice, is goes and finds his brother. He says to Jesus, can we, where are you staying? Can we, can we hang out with you? Can you imagine? So it was 10, it says the 10th hour, which is about 4 p.m. At 4 p.m., they asked Jesus, where are you staying? Because it's, it's starting to get to the point of the day that you need to find a place to stay. And he, Jesus says to them, come and see. Come and you will see. There's that constant statement throughout the text. Come and you will see. And so they go with him. Can you imagine through the hours of the late afternoon and into the evening, keeping Jesus awake 
to tell them more and more about who he is? Can you imagine having hours of audience with Messiah? Well, the next morning, of course, Andrew's convinced of who this Jesus is. And the first thing he does is he goes and tells his brother. He goes and gets Simon. And Simon shows up. At this point, he wasn't called Peter, but John writes him as Simon Peter because by the time people were reading John's gospel, Simon Peter was famous. Peter was the famous one of the church, Paul and Peter. Andrew faded into the background. Peter came forth. And Jesus looks at him and says, you are Simon Bar-Jonah, or son of John but I'm going to call you Kephas. In Aramaic, means rock. It's a nickname. It's Peter. It's a, actually, it's a nickname like, more like Rocky. I'm going to call you Rocky. That's what it was. Okay? It was like Rocky. Not because... And, and we're not certain, we're, we're not entirely certain, although we know Jesus knew his character even before he knew him. We're not sure what Jesus is, why Jesus is calling him Rocky at that moment. Was it in anticipation of who he would become? Yes, I think so. But he was kind of Rocky from the get-go. He was up and down emotionally, you know, hey, Lord, I'll never leave you, I'll never forsake you. You know, all the others will run away. The only one who really stayed with Jesus was actually John, who went in with Jesus. Peter took off, like all the rest. It's important, I think, we know that Jesus calls us to what he intends us to become. In Philippians 1, 6, you know, that great promise of... of uh, Paul that he's made, you know, I'll make sure I get it exactly right. Being confident of this, that he who began a good thing in you will be faithful to complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. And so Jesus was talking here now about beginning a good thing with him. And the discipleship pattern that you can see here is to follow Christ Come and see. Experience grounded in knowledge, not just experience. Grounded in knowledge. Come and see. Stay and then make converts. Do you see how this works? Andrew goes to Simon, his brother. Philip goes to his friend, Nathanael. Friend to friend. Brother to brother. Listen, that's evangelism, beloved. That's how it best works. Those who know Christ, those who've come to know Christ, take it to their family. Take it to those closest to them. That flyby evangelism is not the way you see it in the, in the New Testament. It's working with those who you know. I have come to meet him. I've come to know him. And you need to know about him too. So the next day, now we're at day four, he decided to go to Galilee. 
leave for Galilee. By the way, the NIV translation is a little um, imprecise here. Um, and I think it makes most sense to, to understand this to be the next day he means Andrew. It doesn't say Jesus in the original text. It just says the next day he decided to leave for Galilee and found Philip. And we understand that Philip is a friend of Andrew and Peter. They were in the same town together. It makes most sense that Andrew went back home to Galilee, the Galilee area. Jesus followed along because his ministry was going to be in Galilee. But it's that Andrew that found Philip. And then it says in the text, the he that you see in the NIV, finding Philip, it really then says, Jesus said to him, follow me. So, John truncates a lot of what happened here in travel. We're traveling from down in the, in the uh, Bethany on, on the east side of the Jordan River all the way up to the top uh, uh, west, northwest side of, of uh, the Sea of Galilee. So, you know, the next day Andrew decides to go back to the Galilee region and he finds one of his homeboys in Bethsaida, which meant, by the way, fish house. He... Uh, Philip, uh, Andrew, Peter grew up in that town. You say, well, wait a minute, I thought, I thought uh, Peter was from Capernaum. Well, yeah, that's where his house eventually was, but he came from Bethsaida. And so Andrew says, we, we found, and, Andrew gets to Philip, and Philip goes to his buddy, Nathanael, and says, we found the one Moses, we found the Messiah. Checks all of the boxes. And Nathanael says, he's from Nazareth. Nobody of any repute has ever come from Nazareth. It's kind of like coming from Hampton. And I don't mean to be disrespectful of anybody who might be from Hampton, or, or maybe, maybe I should take it a little further away, Omimi. Like, have you ever heard of anybody comes, anybody important come from Omimi? Well, wait a minute, they lay claim to Neil Young, but he was actually born in Toronto. These, these out-of-the-way places, like nobody's ever come from that place. That's what he's saying here. He's not saying Nazareth are bad people. He's just saying... Can anything of really significance come out of Nazareth? It never has before. And I love, what, I love what Philip says. Come and see. Like he's going to blow your socks off when you meet him. True disciples are under divine surveillance, sovereign surveillance first. Notice what it says here. He goes, he goes and he, he does, and Jesus says to Nathanael, oh, Here's a, a true Israelite in whom there's nothing false. This is a straight shooter guy. How do you know me, he says. Well, I saw you while you were still under a fig tree. And, and he's blown away at that point. Well, you are, you are. Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are king of Israel. And then Jesus says, just because I, I said I saw you under a fig tree? Somehow to Nathanael, that was a big deal that, 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 that no one could have known, I guess. No one else could have known that he was under that fig tree at that particular moment, somehow it really struck him that the only one who could possibly know that is God himself. And, and I think what's fascinating here is God comes and sees us first. That, that's what this is all about here. Jesus knew Nate before Nate knew Jesus. Jesus knew you before you knew him and calls you to himself. 
And then, of course, he calls out Son of God, which is a tremendous recognition of the divinity of Christ, King of Israel. It's not the first time we heard that. The wise man came at two years of age when Jesus and called him the King of Israel. This is not new, but, but this is an eschatological statement of who Messiah is, the soon coming King. Because as Nathanael was expecting, just like all the rest were, that Jesus was going to set up his kingdom, he was going to chase Rome out of there, and they were going to set up what the Old Testament had promised. But we all know that this was, he was speaking more than he knew, that someday the soon coming King would come. Unlike his own who Jesus came to and they didn't recognize him. Nathanael, this, this guy from Bethsaida recognizes who he is. And then finally Jesus says, listen, it's tremendous that you recognize who I am and it's great that you are impressed that I knew you were under the fig tree. But you are going to see greater things than this. He says, you're going to see angels ascending and descending from heaven at that moment, Jesus was interpreting the dream of Jacob in Genesis 28. Do you remember the stairway to heaven? Not Led Zeppelin's version of it, but the biblical version of it. Do you remember that? When he dreamed that he saw angels ascending and descending, and he said, I'm going to call this place Bethel, which means the house of God, because God is surely here. Jesus at that moment says, hey, Nathanael, I'm Bethel. I'm the house of God. I'm the house of God come to earth. Hey, the bricks and mortars of Calvary here at 300 Roslyn are not the house of God. This is the meeting place of the house of God. Jesus is the house of God. And then he says to him, and I am the son of man. Which was the title Jesus always preferred to be called. Which is straight out of Daniel, chapter 7, verses 13 and 14, which is again an eschatological reference to the judgment day when Christ will be given all authority to judge the nations. So we have Jesus here rewarding his disciples with the experience of what Jesus does. He is the one who takes away the sin of the world. He is the soon coming king. He is the one who will judge the world. That's who he is. He preferred son of man because at the time, the word Messiah, son of David, t titles like king of Israel were fairly pejorative, fairly inflammatory. Jesus didn't want to stir up things before his time. And so he both mutes himself by calling him son of man, but at the same time exalts himself by calling himself the eschatological judge over all the world. Here I am, the ransom for sin, the house of God, the judge of all the world, soon coming king. So let me ask you this morning, 
Are you a true disciple experiencing life in his name? We live in a world today where most people, if they are religious but not Christian, plow into Jesus on the way to God because they live in the fog of darkness about who this Christ is. And there may be people here today who they're all about God. You might be all about God. Yeah, I'm about God. But I'm not about Jesus. Like that pilot who plowed into the Empire State Building because he was surrounded and shrouded in zero visibility. Unless you receive Jesus Christ into your life, regardless of how religious you are, you are shrouded in zero spiritual visibility. Jesus is the light of the world who came to take us and show us the way to the Father. And no one comes to the Father but through him. Our Father and our God, thank you so much for your truth. To us, I pray, O oh God, that you will enliven the hearts of those who are yours to another level of discipleship, recognizing here the uh, amazing reality of who Christ is and the privilege it is to be your disciple. May we focus our lives and our attention on you, O oh Lord. And if there's someone here who has yet to give their life over to you, Father, I pray that you draw them to the Son of God today, who alone has life, life everlasting. For Jesus' sake, I pray. Amen. Everybody today is talking about changing the world especially the high-tech startup industries. Come and join us and change the world. The Lamb of God has taken away the sin of the world and removed from us the wrath of God and brought to us the presence of God and eternal life forever, guilt gone, sins removed. That's changing the world. So I urge you this morning... Want to be a world changer? Receive the world changer, Jesus Christ, Messiah, who gave his life to take away the sin of the world that we might have life everlasting and experience life now to the fullest. That's, that's changing the world. Father, thank you for your great love for us and your salvation and the fact that you have removed sin through Jesus Christ, the sacrifice for us, that we might be able to be in your presence now and forevermore. So we praise you and we thank you. And we thank you that you continue to bring people to yourself. Before they know you, you know them. Praise the King. Amen.